Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. We are in a mini-series in our main series called Sit, Walk, Stand. Now, we have been going through the book of Ephesians, gone through the first three chapters on sitting, receiving, listening, growing, resting in the Lord, knowing our identity in Him. Now we have moved on to walking. What does it mean to walk worthy of God in the way that we live out our lives? Well... That is all based upon what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says these words, Therefore I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with complete humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love. I want to note those words, and I want to ask you, how are you doing with that? Putting up with one another in love. One of the problems that it seems like we have is that people don't want to put up with one another. Either you do exactly what I want you to do or I will not put up with you. You need to act exactly how I want you to act or I will not put up with you. We are challenged and called by Paul who was a voice of God writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the way that we are to walk in a manner worthy of him requires humility and it requires gentleness and it requires being patient and it requires putting up with one another in love. That's convicting because if you are honest and you really take a step back and you really look at yourself Sometimes we have to say, you know what, maybe I'm not doing that. Whether it's your marriage, whether it is at work, but whether it's friendships, whether it's the way you're parenting your children, whether it's in the operation of the church as a whole, Paul wants us to put up with people who are messy and make mistakes and don't always have it together and may not think and see things exactly the same way that you do or I do. We don't always see things in agreement, but we are still to put up with one another in love with humility and gentleness and patience, making every effort to stay unified in the way that we live our lives. That's the calling of Paul. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of him. I would ask you just to do some introspection and say, God, show me my own heart, my own mind. 
I know I'm not perfect. I'm not, I know I'm not seeing everything the right way, but am I doing things in a manner that you would be pleased with, that you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Because, yeah, you, you have messed up. You have made mistakes. You've stumbled a little bit, but by and large, you are doing exactly what I want you to do in the way that you're living out your life because you're walking with humility, gentleness, patience, and you're putting up with one another in love. Well, what we have gone to and what we have looked at starting last week is the fact that God doesn't just say, okay, go do your thing and hope that you get it all right and you don't mess up. God has given us gifts for the worthy walk, things that are there to help us walk in a manner worthy of God. You're not just kicked out of the nest like a bird saying, okay, go fly, go do it on your own. And you're like, but I don't know how to fly. Well, it doesn't matter. Just go do it. No, I'm going to give you gifts and abilities and people in your life to help you walk in a manner worthy of him. Why has he given us gifts? Well, in the book of Corinthians, it says this, each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. He's given us gifts for our good so that we are growing the way he wants us to grow. In first Peter, it says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. So we have been given gifts for our common good, and our gifts are there to serve each other. Well, we started last week by looking at the gifts that are talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. And these are known as people as gifts. There are people gifts that are given into your life that are for your common good to help you grow in your knowledge and ability and walk with the Lord. They have been given to you to help you walk in a manner worthy of God. What Paul said was these words. He said that God himself has given some to be apostles or emissaries, some to be prophets, some as evangelists or proclaimers of the good news, some as pastors and shepherds, and some he's given as teachers. These are the people that have been given as gifts in our lives to help us walk in a manner worthy of him. Some are going to be apostles. That could be the main 12, or it can be the office of apostle. Some as prophets. Those are people who are speaking forth the word of God, some who are evangelists, who are very evangelistic in nature, some he's given us pastors or shepherds of the flock, and some have been given as teachers so that they can teach you. Now, what is the role of all of these people as gifts? Well, their job is to equip the saints, the holy ones, the kedoshim, for the work of service, for the building up of the body. In other words, these offices are not there to meet your every need. These offices are not there to, to take care of every problem that you have. These are people given so that you can grow. They're there to be equippers. They're the training department of the church as a whole to equip everybody else to be there for one another. That's the purpose of these offices. They're there to be the training department to help you be the equippers or to be the ones who do the work of the service of the body of Jesus. Do you know that your job is to be there for others? 
It's not the pastors, the evangelists, the teacher's job to be there for everybody. That's the church's job. We cannot possibly be there for everyone. I have likened it in this manner before that we are like Lego connectors. Have you ever stepped on a Lego block in the middle of the night when it's dark? Yeah. You didn't see it. If you got kids, you probably have done that a time or two. It's caused me to hate Legos. I just hate Legos with a passion because of that. But there are some cool things that are created out of Legos. Legos come in a variety of different sizes and shapes, and they do different functions. But you have some that are just small, one and two person or one and two little connectors. You have some that are big sheets of, you know, 20 connections on those sheets. That's, what he's, that's how he's wired us. There are some of you that are small little Lego pieces that you can only handle one or two or three connections, but you are great at it. There are others that have massive sheets of connections, and you're great at it. God has called you in a certain way, but the pastor's job is to equip you to make you work the purpose and the function of the church for the building up of the body. He goes on to say this, so that we will all do these two words, we will all grow up. You know, it's time for some of us just to grow up. We want to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to grow up into maturity. And do you know what maturity is going to look like? Well, let's go back to the beginning. It's going to look like humility, gentleness, patience, and the willingness to put up with one another in love. And that's what maturity is going to look like as you're living out this life, leaning on God, loving others, and walking in a manner worthy of that calling. We're also going to look at the next set of gifts. They're not in the book of Ephesians. They're going to be in the book of Romans. They're called the temperament gifts, or a better way to say that is the service gifts. Now, next week, I was going to try to do it all today, way too much information. We're going to look next week at manifestation gifts as well as the service gifts and the people gifts. Today, we're just going to look at what those service gifts are. So let's look at this together. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 9, Paul gives us what are called service or temperament or functional gifts. What are these gifts? Well, these are things that God has wired in you. You have gifts. Did you know that? Were you aware that you have gifts? You have talents, you have abilities, you have skills, you have gifts given to you by God. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, those gifts are probably laying dormant in your life. You may see them come out in a few little skills and talents, but once you surrender to Jesus, once you give your heart to him and he comes into your life, he like brings those gifts to life and those are called the service or the functional gifts. Everyone has some. You have either one, you have maybe several of the gifts we're going to talk about, but those gifts God put in you to serve the church. You're called to serve, as am I. And we have been given gifts so that we can do that. Let's look at what the gifts are. Now, Paul starts it this way, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 9. He says this, For through the grace that was given to me, Paul says, I'm going to tell you something. I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So have some humility. Don't be prideful. Don't think better of yourself than you should. But to use sound judgment. 
as God has assigned to each person a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Jesus, Messiah, Christ, and everyone parts of one another. So let me start with what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this. He says, this is the church. The church is like a physical body. Your physical body, you have multiple parts. You have eyes, you have ears, you have a mouth. Some of you even have hair, and I admire you, the ones that have hair. You have an arm or two, you have hands, you have legs, you have feet, you have a brain. You have many parts that are part of your body. Those parts are significant. If you have an injury to one of those parts, your body does not function the way that it's supposed to function. Ever had that happen? You have a back pain, and because of that back pain, you just can't function the way that you would like to be able to function. I had a, I had a sliver even in the middle of my foot, and it was painful to walk. I couldn't do anything. I just laid around and whined to my wife until she didn't feel sorry for me anymore. That caused my body to not be able to function properly. A small little thing. If you're walking around and you get a little rock in your shoe, that can affect you. Why does it affect me so much? Because that little thing has become a problem in my life. In the same way that a physical body has many parts, not every part is the same. Your hands do not do the same function as your feet. Your feet do not do the same function as your ears. Your ears don't do the same function as your mouth. Every part is unique. Every part is needed. Every part is necessary. My sister teaches at a deaf education school. She is a principal at a school in Kansas for, it's the Kansas School for the Deaf. And it's amazing to watch her, but she is working with kids that have either limited or no hearing. Well, that affects everything. Think about going through your life without being able to hear. And that problem will affect, you can't hear warnings that are happening. You can't hear the tone of voice that somebody is being uh, communicating to you. It's going to delay a little bit your learning process some until you can catch up in other areas. It affects everything. If you can't see because you're blind, think of how much in life that affects. Think about not having your sight and seeing a beautiful day outside, seeing your friends and family members. It affects everything. So Paul uses that analogy of the body to say that as the church, we're also a body. And we're all parts of that church, but we're not the same part. And as parts of the church, we are all necessary. Because if one part is missing, we're missing a vital function. If we are missing you, maybe we're missing the eyes. If we're missing another, maybe we're missing the ears. If we're missing another, maybe we're missing a foot. If we're missing another, we're missing the hand. We are all part of the body and all necessary. We are members of one another. And if one suffers, if the foot is suffering in the church, the whole body suffers. We want health. 
We want a church that is healthy, a body that is healthy, so that we can function as God intended us to function. Now, Paul's going to go on and say, here's what those parts are going to look like. Here's some of the abilities and talents that he has given you. Look at these with me. We have gifts. That means all of us. We have gifts that differ. My gifts are not the same as yours, and your gifts are not the same as mine. We have gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us. So God looked at you, and he said, I'm going to make you unique, and I'm going to give you exactly what you need, the gifts you need, the, the abilities you need to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. Not just at Journey, but the church universal, a church around the world. According to what God has given to us, if your gift is prophecy in proportion to our faith, if your gift is service in our serving, or the one who teaches in his teaching, or the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who gives in generosity, the one who leads with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be not fake, but let it be without hypocrisy. We don't want fakeness. We want authentic people serving God, using their gifts, loving each other, and in fact, putting up with one another in love. Let's talk about what these gifts are. These gifts are unique, and you have some of these gifts. I'm going to read some of them out, and I want you, after I read them out, I'm just going to ask, well, who do you feel like, do you feel like that's your gift? I just want you to raise your hand as, as, as I ask that question. So let's start with the idea of prophecy. What is the idea of prophecy? Well, prophecy is not foretelling. We're not looking for psychics. That's not what prophecy is. We're not going to sign you up for the Psychic Friends Network and put you on a phone. That's not what prophecy is or prophecy means. Prophecy means this. It is the ability to speak boldly the word of God into a situation that you're in. A prophet is one who has no fear of speaking out. A prophet is one who's bold. A prophet is one who's confrontational. A prophet is one who steps on people's toes and really doesn't care that they have stepped on toes. Somebody who is very prophetic in nature does not often care about feelings. They don't care about how you feel. They're going to give you the facts. They're going to say it boldly, confrontationally at times, and just tell you the facts. They're going to tell you like it is. Now, sometimes... People who are prophetic seem uncaring. They seem unfeeling. They can seem harsh. They can seem un unsympathetic. But at the core of who this person is, they want to make sure that you're right with God. And so they will jump into the fray and speak the truth, even if it hurts your feelings and even if it's unpopular, they're confrontational because they care about your heart and if you're right with God. So if you're somebody who's a prophet, you will speak well, you'll speak eloquently, you will speak in a precise way, you're an excellent judge of character, character. you are naturally courageous, but you're not afraid at all. Now, sometimes, again, this kind of person seems like they can be a little bit of a jerk, but that's not their heart. Their heart is to boldly speak the truth in the midst of a certain situ situation. Now, are, are anybody like that? That that's you? You would say, I'm, that's who I am. I am not afraid. I'll jump into it. I'll say the hard things. 
Okay, not very many who are raising your hand, a handful, but you're just kind of, you're not acting like prophets because they're going to go like this and boldly say, that's who I am. All right, let's talk about service. What is service? If you have the gift of service, what do you have? Well, the gift of service is the same root word that comes out of the word deacon. A deacon has a heart to Serve In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it talks about that the widows of a Greek group of people were not getting served. Their daily portion, like everybody else, was getting served. And they came to the apostles, and they said, there's a problem here. The apostles said, well, we can't take away from the studying and the teaching of the word of God. We're going to appoint deacons. What is the purpose of those deacons? Well, their appointment was that they were there to serve. What does a deacon do? What does a service person do? Well, they like to jump in and help when people are in need and they can step in and serve. They don't necessarily want to be the teacher. They don't want to be up front. They don't want to be confrontational. But if there is a job that needs to be done, they will jump in and serve. They will get the job done. They are workers at heart. They naturally want to give of their time to help anyone who is in need. Now, these people are often not procrastinators because they will jump in and get the job done. They are able to see the troubles that other people are facing and jump in with practical help. They will serve often tirelessly, and they will say yes, even if they are being personally inconvenienced by that task that needs to be done. They will act promptly. Again, maybe you don't want to lead, maybe you don't want to teach, but your heart is, man, I'd love to do. I'm a server, and I love to serve. Is there anybody in the church who's like that? Just, I love to serve. A lot of people who just say, yeah, that's my heart. I just love to serve. And I see a need, I meet a need. That's my desire. Third one he says is this, in teaching. Well, what is teaching? Well, the teaching is the instructing and the grounding of others in the word of God. There are four parts to every teacher, and those parts are these. There's an understanding of what's being said. There's an explanation. Analogies are given, and there's always application. The desire to teach is to help present the truth in a way that people can understand clearly. And if that's your desire, your heart is those of being a teacher. You have a desire for the accuracy of the word of God. I just want, it to, I want people to understand this, and I want them to know it. So I will put in the research and the effort and the time so that I can distribute this accurately. And that becomes your heart and your desire to do that in that manner. Now... Just because you are a teacher in the school district, just because you are a teacher in the Sunday school class doesn't mean you a, a, have that gift of teaching because you could be motivated by mercy and encouragement and compassion, and it could be a different motive that you're using. The teacher wants to teach in a way that brings wisdom and understanding for others. Now, is, does anybody have that heart? I just, I love to teach. I love to explain. I love to show. A few of you do. That's awesome. All right, what's the next one? The next one is exhorting or exhortation. Here's another word for exhortation. It is encouragement. 
Maybe your heart is to be an encourager. This comes from the Greek word paraklesis, which is how the Holy Spirit is described. The paraklesis or paraclete comes alongside. You know what an exhorter does? They come alongside of you and they help. They encourage you. They motivate you to keep going. My sister that I had just mentioned, who is a principal of a deaf edge school, she also is a runner. She just completed a week ago a marathon, which I'm like, a marathon? I completed a marathon at, at Pizza Ranch Buffet. I did not complete. Amen? Can anybody identify? Yes. <laughs> she completed a marathon. It's amazing. There were several friends of hers who went from where she lives in Kansas and went to the West Coast where she ran this marathon. And these friends were there to be exhorters or encouragers. And what they did was they set up at different mile markers on this 26-mile journey, and they set themselves up. And when she would come by, they actually got into the race for a bit and ran with her. And they didn't say to her, oh, you know, this is just too hard. Just give up. You know, this is too much effort. Just quit. They didn't listen to her whine, didn't listen to her complain. Not that she did, but if she would have, they didn't do any of that. They just said, you can do this. Keep going. Keep running. Only this much further to go. We believe in you. That's what an exhorter does. An exhorter is somebody who wants to let people, uh, who wants to encourage people to go, not listen to them wallow in their pity, whine about their circumstances, or wimp out in life. Any of you like that? I'm an encourager. I'm an exhorter. I don't really want to listen to you whine. I want to encourage you to keep going. And there were several like that, and I appreciate that. Next one is gives. You have the desire to give. What is a giver? A giver is one who loves to contribute to the needs of others. You give out of a heart that is filled with God's love. And so you want to give generously. You see people who are in need, whether it's financial, food, possessions, groceries, whatever it might be, maybe even a vehicle, you see them in need and you want to meet that need. You don't want to rescue people out of uh, their own bad mistakes, but you want to help people where it's genuinely needed. You hold very little attachment to money. Money doesn't really matter to you. It doesn't motive. It's not a motive for you. It's not the love of your heart. You, but you love people, and so you want to give to help them. God will put that person on your heart, and you will give financially, give a possession in order to help them. You are, uh, you're able to discriminate. You listen to God faithfully when he says, I want you to give to that person, and you respond in obedience by saying, yes, I will do that. You give with generosity. You're not looking at, okay, what could I get in return in the stock market if I just kept it there? No, you're thinking, God, this is not my money, it's yours. I want to use it for your sake. You have a heart to give. Anybody like that, that you just love to give? It just motivates you to give. Awesome. Leadership. One who leads. What is leadership? Well, leadership is the ability to direct people. 
and for people to naturally want to follow you, you tend to uh, rise to the top in any small group, any work situation, any place that you're in, any group that you're a part of, you just rise to the top because you naturally take the lead and people look at you as a leader. You have the, that ability to direct people, and people just naturally want to follow you. You're, you're likely somebody who's loyal and determined and decisive, and you make good decisions, and people are the better for the decisions that you make. You see the big picture. You see the end results, and you get don't get tied down into the minute little details. You don't get stuck there. You keep going toward the big picture, and that's what a leader does. You're very wise in your delegation and your ability to use and, and, and take advantage of the resources available. Any of you like that, you have that gift of leadership. You love to lead. A handful of you have that as well. Finally, there's mercy. And what is the mercy person? It is somebody who has compassion or concern or kindness toward others who need compassion. You know, people have been beat up in life, and it's not my job to beat them up anymore. It's my job to help them to be, an, to be a comforter to them in their times of need. You're probably inclined to be very gentle, yielding, and sacrificial. You're attentive to the needs of others. You're sensitive to their limitations and challenges. And you are the epitome of kindness and grace. And when somebody is hurting, they don't go to the person who's the prophet, who's going to just tell them the truth. They go to you because you're going to listen and you're going to help and you're going to comfort them. And you're going to be like this warm blanket to them when they need it the most. And that's the gift of mercy. So how does all this work? Well, every person in the church has been given these kind of gifts. If you don't know what yours are, begin to pray, Lord, what are mine? How do you know that? Well, you can understand what your passions are. That's a good clue. What are your talents and abilities? That's a good clue. What is God seeming to call you to? That's a pretty good clue. And step in and use your gifts for the functioning of the body. If we have people who aren't utilizing their gifts, then the body suffers. God has given us people with gifts around us so that we can walk in a manner worthy of him. Let me close with words of caution. And I want to give you these words, and I want to read it out of, uh, out of 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to read a long section, and then I'm going to give you three areas of caution. Number, let's read this together. Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Paul says this, For just as the body, that's the church, is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one church, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. All were made to drink of the Holy Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Look around. There's many people just in this little small local body. Many members. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. As it, uh, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You, you know what all that means? You have a uniqueness that you need to bring to the body in order for the body to function properly. If you step off and say, well, I don't need the church, and I'm going to just do it on my own, you're being a single part, and that doesn't work. You have got to be a part of the body. Be a functioning part of the body. There are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, like the little toe. It seems like, what is this about? It's indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that, it lack, that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What are the words of caution that I want to give you just based upon what we just read? Well, here are the words of caution. Number one, the church needs all gifts. All are necessary, valuable, and important. That's you. You are necessary. You are valuable and you are important. And you may say, well, I don't have anything to contribute. Yes, you do. And you are valuable, necessary, and important. Well, I don't know what my gifts are. Well, let's figure those things out together. But you are valuable, necessary, and important. Number two, word of caution. Don't get mad for not having certain at others for not having certain gifts instead be patient and appreciative don't look at another person and say why can't you be more like that prophet person why can't you be more confrontational i am so frustrated with you why can't you show more mercy and be more like that merciful person i am so frustrated how come you can't be different don't do that Appreciate the uniqueness that God has wired into each one of you and them. Don't get mad, but appreciate the gifts that they bring to the table, even though they're not the same as yours. And with that, the third one would be this. Don't get mad at yourself for not having certain gifts. Instead, be patient and appreciative. And I want to close with this thought. I have heard this time and time again that people think I hate who I am. You ever had that thought? You ever said that to yourself? I hate who I am. I hate who God made me. I hate what he put in me. God made you exactly how he wanted you. 
What it talks about in the beginning of Ephesians that I had talked about earlier back in this series was that you are the poem, the poema of God. In other words, you are his workmanship. He created you exactly how he wants you. You may not be the one who stands up and preaches. You may not be the one who stands up and teaches. That is not, does, that does not matter. The gifts he has given to you are equally important in the functioning of the body. Don't ever feel like you are nothing or you're not enough, or you're a mistake, or you hate who you are because God has made you exactly how he wants you to be with the gifts and the abilities and the talents. You are important. You are necessary. You are valuable. And God has made you exactly who he needed you to be in the functioning of the body of Christ. We have been given gifts to walk in a manner worthy of him. We've been given people in our lives, shepherds, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets, in order to help us and shape us. And we have been given each other. God gave you one another. Look around and just notice we are a unique, diverse group of people, yet God gave each one of us for the purpose of the building up of the body. You're important, as is he and she. They are important. God brought us all together for the functioning of the body. Now, next week, we're going to look at the manifestation when God just shows up. Use your gifts to serve him, to serve the body for the common good of the growth of all. Let's pray. And then we will leave this place. Father, we thank you that you have made us each unique. You have wired within us what we need. Lord, at the time that we feel worthless, that we feel like we just hate ourselves, we hate who you've made us to be, convict us. Remind us that you've made us unique that you've made us important, that you've made us valuable, that you put within us a uniqueness that is there for the rest of the body. Instead of tearing ourselves down, help us to look at ourselves through your eyes and realize that you have given each one of us gifts. We are an important part of this entire body. We're not the same parts, but we're all a unique part an important part, a necessary part. Help us to find our places, Lord, that we can serve. Help us to encourage others, to build others up as they're going through their journeys. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And help us, Lord, to put up with one another in love. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, have a wonderful rest of your week or entire week and looking forward to seeing you all back here next time for Men Serve Sunday for Mother's Day. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com 
and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.